A fisherman speaks his mind. Nian Dian Chu. Wise men of talent, now and in the past, have never let ambition seal their doom. High-placed, you're still no better than a slave, a plowman's buffalo, a rider's horse. In evil times, avoid officialdom and spare yourself some pitfall or net. Those who serve tigers, running as their hounds, will feed the tigers when no hare is left. Beyond harm's reach, persist in your own sphere, some stream or sea, none covets or disputes. Flying a paddle, row your wicker boat, and catch a livelihood from dawn to dusk. Weave your own way through river zigs and zags, with fishing line and rod made of bamboo. Befriend the moon by night, the wind by day. Sing a gay tune, enjoy a jar of wine. Drift past where cranes resort, where oysters haunt, and nature take delight, at ease and free. The fish and shrimp by heaven sent abound. You eat your fill, for what else could you wish? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Between Oceans and Gold Teeth. I am Joel Watson. I'm Basic Govine, which I guess is important that we say because it's been a couple episodes since we did introduce ourselves. Mm. Well, here we are. Here we are. In the spirit. On this fine Thursday time of day. (laughs) (laughs) How did you find this poem? How did I find this poem, you ask? (laughs) Do you not know? Making a seamless transition so that I can edit very well. Uh, I found this book at our rare bookstore in town. I occasionally go and peruse and buy things that catch my interest. And um, an anthology of Vietnamese poems from the 11th through 20th centuries, which is a long time, was there. And I got it and I found this poem in it. Oh, excellent. And we're having a semi-political season. Uh Uh-oh. So I figure why not talk about someone who's anti-French colonist. Oh, I don't think there's... What, what, what could there possibly be here, you know, that's political? He's just telling people to have a simple life, right? Simple lives are political. Oh, or are we going to talk about the author himself and what he went through? If you want to talk about him, great. I don't I don't know anything about him. Oh. Except how a robot told me to say his name. Okay. Thanks, robot. Um, speaking of how to say his name, um, on LonelyPlanet.com member mawman94100 wrote out phonetics that Uh was Gwen Ding Chu. In the context of somebody was asking about a street, how to pronounce a street in Vietnamese, which had Duong at the front of it, of Mm -hmm. this. Um, But this person, um, Gwen Ding Chu, or however Basie pronounced it, has a lot of like schools and street names uh, named after him because he is... um, one of the most famous Vietnamese authors, definitely the most famous poet, Hmm. um, and he's blind. So a lot of schools for the blind are named after him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the next poem in the anthology is um, A Blind Poet Looks at the Outside World. Oh, cool. That sounds really good. Mm -hmm. uh, It is, I think, but it's two pages. Therefore, putting it in too long for the podcast territory. too bad. I know. Where do we start? Well, you've already told us that there are streets and things named after him and he's very famous uh the book has as all good anthologies do a little introduction and they only mention him once in the context of poets who like started writing and came into prominence as the french began to colonize vietnam which is too bad because yeah um 
Vietnam was under Chinese control for a really long time. And then in 1802, they finally were able to expel the Chinese and they had a little dynasty of their own. But then the French came right in and were like, hi, guys, Mm -hmm. we like this area, please, until the communist fighting gets too bad and we dip out, leaving you in America to settle things out. Yeah. um, mm, Colonization. Woof. Good. (laughs) Um, So... This guy um, was very outspoken against the French. And even after things like quieted down and the rebellions that he was like, I think somewhat involved in, he wrote a lot of poetry. Being blind, he didn't do any actual fighting for it. But like one of my favorite stories about him, and I found this, um, I found this on both Wikipedias, but if you go to the Vietnamese Wikipedia and then you translate to English, you get a lot more about him as a person. Maybe biased, but I don't see why the English one wouldn't be biased as well. So after the fighting calmed down and everything, um, his land had been taken by the French government. Um, And at some point, because he was still a poet and still pretty famous, um, he just lived a quiet life, like teaching people and... um, a French official, Governor Michael Ponchon, came to his dick. house. <laughs> came to his house and asked him to publish uh, Luc Van Tien, which was like his most famous work. Um, and he offered him the fields of his family that had been taken by the French government. And his response was, "When our common land, our country has been lost. How is it possible to have individual land?" Um, which I think is great. He was very much, um, very much anti, um, well, anti being oppressed by a foreign government. Um, but I also like tying it to the fisherman's poem. He's also very pro, like people just kind of living simply and together and like as a community, I think mm-hmm. is what I glean from it. I think so. I was reading again, the introduction of this book and we've talked some mostly early earlier on in the podcast about the sort of like Chinese legacy in poetry in Asia, like Korea, Japan, and now we're talking about Vietnam. And I learned this recently. So a lot of China was the first power in the region to develop a writing system. And I learned that the Chinese writing system, I mean, we all know that it's symbolic, and it has characters. But I found that the reason the um, the language is so easily adoptable is because there's no indication of pronunciation in classical Chinese writing at all. So like China, Korea, Japan could adopt the symbols, share meaning with each other, but speak like read pieces in their own language, right? So if you have the character for like pig, you could say pig in Korean, but everybody looking at it, no matter where you're from, would be like, oh, that says pig. I'm just going to say it in the language that I speak. Oh, that's fascinating. Yes. So that's what went on in um, Vietnam as well. They wrote in classical Chinese and um, adopted a lot of the Chinese forms. She, if we remember, very rigid, rigidly structured mm-hmm. Chinese poetry. Um, but... Vietnamese poets also had structures of their own, which maybe we'll talk about, maybe we won't, we'll see where the episode leads. But poetry through Vietnamese history has always trended toward um, 
being reclaimed by the common people. And even though it did go through a period of sort of like cultural elitism, uh, where only like academics were writing, it always has trended back toward being taken over by the people and people having folk songs and people writing their own poems and reciting them and things like that, which I think fits in to this idea that Din Chu was that kind of person and had that kind of mindset. And it also makes a lot of sense to me then why Vietnam emerges as a communist power, because it's always sort of had this for the people sentiment. Yeah. Unlike China, which is also a communist power, but not whatever. so much for the people. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I find it like fascinating what you said about poetry because it it is i think i agree with that wholeheartedly and i i wonder if it's poetry in general because i remember when i was growing up reading like old white guy poetry um very boring and rigid and this is one of the problem one of the reasons why i give you such a hard time about um blank verse when mm-hmm. we read it free verse free verse i'm sorry it's okay blank verse is written in iambic pentameter but does not rhyme okay free verse rhyme and meter at your leisure okay. or not really anyway free verse yes because you know there's no structure it can be whatever it wants it doesn't have to rhyme it doesn't have to do anything and so you can write it and be like oh look at my wonderful thoughts and it's really not great at all and i was like oh but that's the reason i thought that is because of what i had been taught growing up and also free verse doesn't give you indications for what's good right mm-hmm. like when you go to rhyme the rhyme is there. Okay, good. They're following the rules. And then the rhyme is unexpected, but it fits. Oh, excellent. That's all they had to do. Mm-hmm. But with free verse, it's more free. But I think like eschewing convention or at least like when poetry gets grabbed and brought way up to the surface or surface, way up to the tip top of the tower and people are like, this is good poetry, period. This mm-hmm. is all what good poetry is. And then some people start, you know, doing free verse or they start doing stomp poetry or something like that. And everybody's like, what the heck is this? This is not good poetry. You guys are just stupid. Yeah. But like poetry's for the people. I think so. There's I have a couple of thoughts about that because I think it could be a trend in general. Um, I think in some places uh, like formalism has persisted more than in other places like in japan they have several uh different formal styles that emerged as truly japanese and in keeping with japanese literary tradition um like haiku tanka um those are still widely written sort of like how america still has like a big thing for sonnets but there is like a bleeding at the edges and acceptance of more things Um, Even though you will still find in a lot of elite academic circles um, an exclusion of so-called lower forms of poetry because, you know, academics need something to get them through their days. Oh, I mean, if you can't exclude somebody, then, you know, you can't be elitist about it. So that's so true. That's what academia is, is Mm -hmm. it's, it's not about education. It's about setting yourself above the rest of the flock. I'm sorry, I'm not going to talk about corporate America. (laughs) Actually, this would be the best time to talk about, you know, American appropriation and, you know, governments trying to say that they know more and better things. Oh, yeah. This is a perfect time to talk about also propaganda and counter-propaganda, which is just propaganda not from the side 
necessarily in power. And I think probably this guy wrote a lot of counter propaganda. Um, he did. Um, I believe he wrote for the. I don't have the names, but he wrote for the like the larger resistance against the French colonization. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Until that guy committed suicide, and his son half-heartedly took over, and then the rebellion fizzled out. Oh dear. Uh, but that's all I know. <laughs> what a way for a rebellion to go. Well, they. He was injured. It wasn't like despair or anything. He was basically dead, I believe. What a way for a rebellion to fizzle out still injury or not um when i was reading this did you detect any attempt from the translator at meter because i kind of felt it and then i was like oh no it's gone oh no it's there oh no it's gone um i don't i i don't think they've really um tried too much at a meter Mm -hmm. but in a certain bounce of the syllables and the words chosen yeah um when i read it it feels very much like when you're watching a karaoke video and the dot is like jumping along the syllables for you Mm -hmm. to sing yeah it feels like that that's interesting i was wondering so this anthology only has english it doesn't have any of the um original any of the original text which i couldn't read But it would be nice to have. It would be nice to have so that I could just stare at it and pretend that I could count characters and know how long because, um... Well, part of poetry is how how the author writes it, right? Like, you pick up Infinite Jest, and that was a bad choice because David Foster Wallace puts way too much thought into his work. Um, You pick up a novel, and it's like the publisher probably formatted all of that, Mm -hmm. right? But when somebody writes poetry... For whatever reason, we try to keep their formatting as tight as possible. Well, something I learned listening to Hank Green, author of An Absolutely Remarkable Thing, among other various public works, um, discussed in the course of publishing An Absolutely Remarkable Thing, which is his first novel that I have not read. He was like, something I found when I took it to the publishers is that they tried to do what I wanted with formatting. And then he said, and I didn't try to format it at all under the assumption they would do it. (laughs) (laughs) so oh that's excellent i think probably unless you're like misspelling things wrong editors try to do what the author wants at least in this day and age that would make sense i know in the past that was not true yeah like tolkien aside (laughs) um our our spelling of elves with a v is totally tolkien he basically he invented that um elves and elfin Used to be Fs? Yeah, they used to just all be F, Fs. Mm. Um, but he changed um, elf and elvin hmm. um, when you use it as an adjective. Fascinating. Um, and his publishers pu- corrected that and published it with an F, and he had to write them a letter and say no. Ah. Ah. Love that. Anyway, it doesn't have the Vietnamese, mm. but at this time, and I guess still through time, um, I mentioned earlier that there are several like formal forms in Vietnamese poetry. Um, there's a six eight structure called Luc Bat and another that's double seven um, that the name I forget and I'm not gonna look at the book to look it up because I'm bad at my job. Um, and they could be interspersed um, or written together um, and they they existed at the same time as this as the formal Chinese structures. And something the French colonists did for Vietnam was allow a more, a greater freedom of verse. And some poets 
who were not necessarily anti-French started publishing things that were not in these sort of structural forms at this time. But I imagine being a Vietnamese nationalist, Nian Dian Chu would not have adopted that form. So I've been wondering, like, what structure did he write in 6877 or a mix thereof? And the poem doesn't really help me out in trying to figure it out. Yeah, I wish there was more information um, on his life in English because mm -hmm. um, there's not. I understand why there wouldn't be, right? Because yeah. Americans sort of still have like, I don't know, Vietnam is like well, it, the ex-girlfriend who stood up to them <laughs> and America's just a misogynist and they're like, yeah, that girl, she really, uh, we're just mad because we didn't win the war. So we don't yeah. talk about Vietnam a lot. I actually didn't think about it from that perspective. Um, yeah. It sort of fits into what I was going to say that like, we're totally okay with um, other cultures as long as they help us get whatever we want mm -hmm. you know like like a there's a portion of americans who are obsessed with japan right yeah. it's because we have like a close relationship and we share media and technology and all this stuff mm -hmm. um but yeah well there is a weird like there is a classism among like in the Western, I think in Asia and in the Western view of Asians of like China, Korea, Japan are sort of like, and people think of them as being like Westernized and okay. And then people tend to think less of like the Vietnamese, Cambodians, Laotians, um, well, they haven't, and other Southern. They haven't adopted our signaling yet. That's true. Right? Mm -hmm. Like one of the first things that um, in the early early 20th century, uh, actually the late eight, uh, 19th century. Um, one of the, one of the first things that, um, people, uh, that people who were Chinese who were trying to like show, um, the American government and the West that they were like prepared to cooperate and be open with them and trade and all that sort of stuff is they adopted Western, um, style clothing, which, should not have had to have been a prerequisite to proving that you um, are willing to cooperate with somebody. But, you but know. like, man, are Westerners hung up on clothes. Oh, my God. Clothes and appearances and, like, mm -hmm. all that nonsense. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the sort of, sort of the same thing happens in America with, like, Eastern Europeans. And, like, if you're from, like, France, Germany you know, you're fine, England, of course, but then if you're from, like, the Czech Republic or, like, you, the Ukraine, Americans are a little bit like, mm, mm. What, you mean in the way that they dress? No, in the way that they are treated in, like... Oh, I see. ...American popular sentiment. Yeah, there's... Ukrainians and Russians have this sort of, like... They still have this very much... Um, uh, caricature. Yeah. I mean, I guess that could be another... I guess that all could also be part of the whole, like, USSR thing. Mm-hmm. And, um... A hang-up from, you know... Yeah, but I suspect it came earlier than that, and it is a, it's got its just roots in racism and an American preference for traditionally Western ethnicities as opposed to, um, 
you know, Eastern European or Southeast Asian yeah, um, cultural identities. Americans have this funny idea about like cultural heritage and that sort of thing. Most Americans that I've met, not, you know, is that like if somebody is walking around and they have an Irish accent and they're wearing an Irish kilt or whatever, that's a thing. Yeah. And we know that they are probably Irish and we don't really care. Mm-hmm. However, the people who come up to you and they tell you that they're Irish or they tell you your heritage without you asking, um, there's almost none of it in there. Yeah. Like very little in their appearance or their voice. And that's all fine. But it's just we, we're proud of things once they have like left any sort of like traces on us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, something we've talked about on the podcast before is this idea that white people and white passing people can select the identities of their choice and especially ethnicities and they can say oh yeah you know i have irish heritage but now i'm an american but people who are you know black or brown it's like oh you're black you're automatically an african-american even if you know that's not true yeah which is why Mm -hmm. it like uh i mean i'm apologizing for the my ignorance of the past but um yeah you know I grew up saying African American, mm-hmm. and then when POC came out, people of color, I was yeah. like, "What's the? Why, why do we always change things? Why do things need to change?" And well, because it's more accurate, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I can't wait. I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime, but I can't wait until it's like, "Do you have a national identity?" Yes, I will think of you that way. If not, whatever mm-hmm. you can be, whoever you want. Yeah, you know, um. Let's talk some about the poem. Um, yeah. I Okay, so I love this. I'm really glad that this guy wrote this poem. Me too. Um, because, so, this is not a Western idea, really. Like, this is, you, you will find this desire that, um, that is expressed here in, like, I'm going to sound... I'm, the only way I can really describe what I'm talking about is to sound elitist when I say it. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to adopt the personality of somebody who lives in the city. Okay. Um, the only people who really desire this sort of like quiet life are like unintelligent, like pockets of America that are like, you know, dumb, I guess. Right. Rednecks or something like that. That is the elitist stance on the simple life. Yes. Or on at least the pastoral life. And like, but there's so much of it. There's so much of that idea in America. Like, the people who write our media um, and the entertainment we consume, most of them live in gigantic cities, have one worldview, and even when they write about pastoral stuff in a positive way, I don't think they do it very well or honestly. No. I also think that the underlying sentiment is there, at least in, like, the media of maybe our generation or, like, a couple years younger than us. This idea that you need to really, like, put the brakes on and that modern life is going to eat you alive. But it manifests in things like turning off your cell phone and, like, not talking to anybody for a whole day or, like, engaging in capitalism not for your basic needs but for your wants. Like, um... You're saying that this is a newer... No, it's not a newer idea, but I think it's the same sentiment. Like, right? I need my life to be less overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And 
the decision to get that in the poem is to escape from government structures, to escape from colonialism, to go back to tradition um, and living a, like a village life or an independent farming life is the way to do that. But in a society where we're disconnected largely from that, the the impulse is there, I think, but it is instead like, I don't know, I'm going to take a weekend and not go on Facebook. But we do this very right. interesting thing in the West. I guess America, because I can't speak. I've never been to Europe, so I don't know. Um, but it's this weird sort of guilt trip where we're pulled in two different directions. Um, because, you know, on the one hand, it's like... Uh, it's like everybody wants to be famous or whatever when they're young, I guess. And then they kind of learn to like quiet down. Or maybe people want to live this kind of life and remove themselves from like this stuff, like oppressive governments and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But then there's this massive guilt about you not being connected with the world. Oh, you don't know what's going on in Japan. You don't know what's going on in Italy. Yeah. And so you're like being a bad human being by not being connected with that. But the problem is the companies that run social media and all kinds of different advertising make it incredibly hard to be connected with other human beings, which is the goal, mm -hmm. without being absolutely bombarded with information that you don't need. Like our brains are finite. Like if you focus on a task, you'll get good at that task and the rest of your brain um, will be devoted to that task. So if you have advertisements, like potentially advertising can get so could get so good that it uses so much of our brain that we can't do anything but be consumers. Yeah, I find globalism has been, if not good, at least satisfying for my physical consumption, but mentally stressful. It can be very stressful. Um, Although globalism also brings us this poem. So um, as everything, it has its ups and downs. Well, the thing is, is like, this is the good kind of, this is what I want. Like, yeah. I had, I didn't know anything about, well, this, this brings me back to the original reason I went on this tangent. Um, Which one are we on again? Um, about, I'm so glad he wrote this. Right. Because I can turn on the television, I can turn on American entertainment, and I can get, be the top of the pyramid. That's the goal. And I can't get much else. Right. Um, and it turns out that this sort of, like, really nice, like, live a quiet life, not just anyone, not just living a quiet life because you're, you know, an ant in a colony or any sort of, like, super collectivist idea, but he says wise men of talent like he's recognizing probably his own talent as one of the most famous poets in vietnam mm -hmm. um and he's saying that like with all this recognition and everything i can live a quiet life like you know in america you you want to do a thing that could lead to fame if you do it right and that's like the only goal yeah and so that's all you see is people, like, amplifying that. Like, you can't be – excuse me. Um, you, you, it's really it, – like, it would be really hard uh, – Daniel Day-Lewis does it. Not a lot of other people do it. But it's really hard to be a super famous, excellent actor 
and also be out of it. I think Keanu Reeves, alleged immortal, also manages to do this too. I've never seen anything Keanu Reeves has ever been in, but I've seen like Keanu Reeves appreciation posts that are mm-hmm. like, this guy came up to me. I was having a hard time. I didn't realize it was Keanu Reeves, but then he gave me a bunch of money to help me. Like I forgot my credit card and couldn't pay for my lunch or I couldn't pay for my lunch. And then we got talking about how I'm trying to go back to school and he paid my way through school, stuff like that. And then just like left in his sweatpants and sunglasses. Yeah. Yeah. But he's, Ding Chu is defending that sort of, you know, quiet. He is. This reminds me in high school, I um, had to read and so read part of Henry David Thoreau's Into the Woods. Um, I thought it was incredibly boring and I didn't read very much of it. I was far more interested in reading. We had like a side project to do with it and I was way more interested in reading about people who lived in RVs Ooh. than I was about people Henry David Thoreau living in a cabin um, it does sound interesting it was pretty cool they had some very nice early 2000s websites about it my <laughs> <laughs> favorite and I think this is a little bit like that except more permanent because he was only in the woods for a year and way more anti-government Avoid officialdom. In evil times, avoid officialdom and spare yourself some pitfall or net. Those who serve tigers, running as their hounds, will feed the tiger when no hair is left. That's what I think about the Trump administration. You know, it's actually fascinating because I'm glad you brought up Mr. Trump. <laughs> because there, I, I, I remember um, Tiny Hands McDee. Um, I remember somebody saying, I don't know if this was a cabinet member or an intern, but somebody was like, yeah, if you don't do what he says, he'll fire you. So everybody just does what he says to his face. And then behind their back, they don't do what he says because we would start World War Three if that was if we did right. that sort of thing. And I don't I'm always like. Do they, you know, the ones who are like aware of what's going on, are are they constantly having a discussion in their head like. This is all terrible, but if I quit, somebody worse who will do what he says and won't undermine his bad decisions will come in and things will become even more worse. Um, It might not necessarily relate to what this author is saying, but he says, in evil times, avoid officialdom. Those who serve tigers running as their hounds will feed the tigers when no hair is left. Like, is that something... Is he saying that when things are bad and evil, like, just don't participate. Just stay out of it. You know, unless you're, like, fighting. He didn't, I mean, he he helped the resistance. So he's not, like, you know, passively letting this place get taken over. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what he's advocating for exactly. Persist in your own sphere. Stream. Uh, some stream or sea, none covets or disputes, paddle a boat. I think even if he's not necessarily arguing for living like a strictly farming life, I think he is advocating for, you know, going your own way. Um, and then this whole thing, plying a paddle, row your wicker boat to catch a livelihood from dawn to dusk, weave your own way through the river, zigs and zags with fishing line and rod made of bamboo. It could also just be metaphoric, you know, mm-hmm. and... You know, you have to find your own current and find your own means of, you know, personal, emotional, physical sustenance. You know, 
wise men of talent now and in the past have never let ambition seal their doom. I think Brett Kavanaugh um, might be this kind of person, right? Newest Supreme Court justice, um, non-convicted sex offender in power until he dies or steps down, but with very little public faith. He is the kind of person who this poem is speaking against, right? Well, in my brain, like, I think what the world should be is that, like, you should never have more than, like, 10 layers of of importance, right? There's somebody at the bottom, somebody above them, somebody above them, somebody above them, and you have 10, right? Potentially, if everything is structured in a pyramid like that over, with some overlap, anybody on Earth can meet and interact with the highest level of authority, right? But the more people we have on this planet, the more we are funneling authority into singularities and like everyone below them. I'm actually not talking about political authority. I'm talking about entertainment authority. Okay. If you are, if you are part of an arts organization, like everybody is becoming an artist, but it's, it's actually everybody's becoming a wise man of talent or person of talent, um, like at the bottom and they're doing their day job to serve the overlords of Amazon and Walmart. And then they're doing their art at the bottom. And I'm like, we could create a life where these two things are married, but mm-hmm. not with a huge, gigantic corporate structure, which is why the corporate corporations are like, oh, yeah, totally. Do your art. We're going to help you with that. As long as you work 40 hours a week for us. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. I mean, I think that could be true, could be true in American society. But I don't think that's what she's talking about. I think this poem is an is advocating for existing outside of the social structure altogether and living living in a way by you know your whim. But the reason people don't do this is they have nobody with them. Like he doesn't the, have anyone with him. I know, but very few people want to be alone. Like I I but he has the moon by night, the wind by day, gay tunes and <laughs> jars of wine. I'm talking about in real life, <laughs> like in modern day, like the reason people don't quit their jobs is because their closest friends are their coworkers. And, you know, the reason people don't live out in the woods is because they want to be near their neighbors. Even if they say they don't, most people don't actually believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, they lie. Yeah. They, they've people been lied to so much. do need other people. Yeah. Which is too bad. So you you can't just like drop out and live in a tent somewhere mm-hmm. because then the coolest people aren't going to be, you know, waking up in the next tent over. Right. That's true. But again, I think this takes on, I mean, it has a literal element, but it also can live in the metaphorical. Like you don't have to actually isolate yourself from society in order to live like this. But there is a way to, like, find this kind of inner tranquility and personal fulfillment. And I guess you can live simply in the context of society or you can try. There is this um, 
this thing that I have a duality inside me about it um, is where when people talk about, um, you know, doing things for themselves, like it's a me day or, or, you know, that sort of stuff. Like on the one hand, it's actually really good. We have this, um, you know, this sense of like, I'm going to do what I want. Like, I'm not going to let these systems hold me down. And I, I wonder if it is, if it is possible to do that sort of like inner tranquility and be like, oh, this thing that everybody's expected to do, it's actually really bad for me and maybe even us. So yeah. I won't participate. Yes. But how do you do that without getting rejected by everybody else who's like, well, I've accepted it, so so should you. Well, to take, to make, because this is what we're talking about, let's make this about me for a second. Okay. I don't really watch movies. Wait, you don't watch movies? Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you and the horse you rode in on. <laughs> Get out of I here. I rode in on the Marvel stallion. <laughs> For those of you who might not know, physical current company nonwithstanding, I don't watch a lot of movies. Good. And I don't watch a ton of TV shows, some, but usually they're just things that I pick or like rewatch. And so I don't get a lot of references and I reject a lot of recommendations. I get more time to spend thinking about what I want to think about and I get to hear people ramble about plots of movies, you know, for good or for ill. Not everyone is a good storyteller, mm. but it's fun. And with one major exception, I don't expect anyone to take any recommendations for movies or shows that I have watched. Um, so it, it sort of is like, a, it's it's like everything, you gain something and you lose something. Well, so here's where my bias comes in. So I'm a fan of you and I'm a fan of that worldview. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's great. There's, there's this thing where people are like expected and we're not talking about like evil, you know, evil French governments taking over Vietnam. But no, just um, to a certain evil systems of corporate media. Yes. Monopolies, Disney, cough, 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 cough. Um, yes, the mouse that took over the world. Yeah. So it just like we're expected to watch movies and people are like their minds are blown when we haven't seen a movie or this sort of thing. It's like I would rather have like these sorts of communities in, in, in like local areas so that like maybe you drive an hour or two to see a movie that's showing in a bigger city because it's better. Mm -hmm. But like I'd rather watch movies that my friends made. Yeah. And we have this weird thing where like we have gotten so good at telling stories through movies that if you don't have a film that is the quality of a Marvel film, which I don't think they're very good because I don't subscribe to what they think good is. But everybody has this high misplaced taste bar. And so if you make a film, they go, well, that's kind of crap. The lighting isn't very good. You, you know, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. And it's like, well, I don't have a $300 million budget right. to hire these people who have all these incredibly, you know, specialized uh, disciplines. Like, that's not what I'm going for, and I don't even want that. I don't know. I think it all comes down to expectation. Like, I don't expect anyone to have consumed the media that I've consumed and am constantly met with, what do you mean you haven't consumed all the media that I've consumed? Which is, 
which is actually insane yeah. because we are more connected than ever before. And we're like, oh, yes, we're all, you know, like I can just open up my phone and talk to my friend in France about Endgame. Mm -hmm. Well, it is hard in a plate, like in a global society to find points of connection if you hate what you're doing every day and the only thing you have is your like side entertainment and if you're not somebody who makes something whatever form making things comes in or if you're not someone who enjoys your profession really in some ways the only thing you have are your hobbies and a lot of people's hobbies are media consumption and it is something that's typically has a low barrier to entry and it's easy it's easy to lose yourself in movies and tv yeah um and i i think that's fine mm -hmm. but we we're also getting pushed into like our rooms on our bed watching netflix on our tablet rather than going to a movie theater with a group of friends and seeing a film there which is slightly better maybe even a lot better maybe not in bloomington what do you mean well the social <laughs> nothing i'm just saying bad things about the quality of the movie theaters in Bloomington. Oh. Not about the social bonding experience. Although you do find people who will go to a movie with you and then promptly not discuss what you just saw after. Really? Really. Why? I don't know. I'm not anybody else. I can only guess about so many things in a given period of time. Okay. And I have the poem to guess about right now. <laughs> um... High placed, you're still no better than a slave, a plowman's buffalo, a rider's horse. What a good way to call someone a tool. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, oh, God, I, well, I don't know why I keep talking about this. Feel free to cut all this nonsense out. Okay. But like in this in the structure, depressive like systems during time in evil times. Yeah. Like you can you can try and work your way up some sort of ladder and like, you know, you're making your way to the top. But if you're getting like ping ponged around by everyone else, you're just getting funneled through these things that you don't really want mm -hmm. in the expectation it'll land where you do. Yeah. It's sort of like, does the end justify the means? But the end Probably of our not. life is death. So True. like, why are we not doing what we want now? I don't know. I've, I understand like the general concept of retirement because, you know, you're old and people aren't being taken care of by their children anymore. So you need money. But I don't understand working for 65, now like 70 years of your life, amassing wealth so that you can buy property on a lake and drive a boat around. Like, why is... I mean, it could be a universal dream. The nuclear family. Row your wicker boat. You can do that now. <laughs> like, I, okay, so if I didn't have all the hobbies that I have, like, I'm not talking about my job with money. I mean, I have, like, legitimate hobbies, which involve... This a, podcast. This podcast, theater, like, there's people that I love, there's things that I love doing. Um, but if I didn't have those things, I would totally live in a tent in the woods, and I just, like, I just bum around, right? Because that's, that's kind of nice. Yeah. In some way. But the reason the reason I do participate in society is because it's because of other people, right? And also collective artistic endeavors that are just mm -hmm. extensions of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Something that this poem does leave out, I think, that we have established is that people need other people. And the answer to the question, for what else could you wish, could be other people to paddle their boats with you. Right? Yeah. But I think this poem hits on most of the other points. Right? Like, that people want. Like, a stable physical environment sustenance and freedom of choice yeah and wine yes yeah the fish and shrimp by heaven sent abound you eat your fill for what else could you wish i don't know and maybe living this way you don't need anyone else but i don't know i I, suspect that you would i suspect that you would it's just it it is very nice to hear this sort of perspective and i (laughs) It's not like somebody super famous said this. This is, you know, Western famous, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is one of the things that, like, social media allows me to do. Or, like, you know, globalism is I can become connected with Vietnamese poetry having never crossed the pond in either direction. Yeah. And yet it's also harder to find because, you know, it's it's getting drowned in, in all kinds of nonsense. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I couldn't find this poem on the internet. I went looking and I couldn't find it. I mean, I could find the book listed, but not like the individual text. Um, So like, if I hadn't gone to the rare bookstore one day, we'd be talking about something else right now. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. That, okay, so you have the rare bookstore, right? And then you have the internet. And so the internet, you can find anything on it, except you can't because... Where is Judy Miles and who is she? Yeah, um, I mean that's something I run. I'm going to interrupt you. Um, that's something I run into the podcast and a lot is like the information well just runs dry, and then sometimes I'm like, I wish I had time to go to the library. Anyway, carry on. Well, the th- the thing that's fascinating is like the bookstore has like a higher barrier to entry of like what's going to be in it, and the internet doesn't. So you think that the internet would collect everything, but people don't just like you know, pick up their books and their local Vietnamese poetry and be like, ah, I'm going to publish, I'm going to scan all this, copy it and put it on the internet. Like that doesn't really happen. Mm -hmm. So like me being from America, I'm bombarded with all this Western stuff. Whereas you go into a bookstore and somebody has like tried to curate, you know, important or interesting material. I mean, I'm trying really hard both for the podcast and just for myself, because it's what I've discovered that I like to be a good consumer of like world poetry and by extension world literature. And I've subscribed to like a couple of literary journals and I'm like keeping an eye on like independent presses and like purchasing things, Mm -hmm. but I am purchasing things and the stuff that I get is great, but it's also like I'm buying in. This is not, stuff that's just going to come to me for free like well there's effort that goes into it and i wish that there didn't have to be because it's pretty easy to find free work from people of your own nation and i just i just want for global writing and translation thanks guys well there is this interesting sort of okay so like fiat currency in concept should basically just be a key 
right? So you're like, oh, I want more poetry. And so you unlock that door, right? There's many problems with like, oh, there's an imbalance of pay. And like these people, like, even though the minimum wage is higher than it was in the 60s, we're actually getting paid less Mm -hmm. because of all kinds of reasons like inflation and market basket value and all that sort of stuff. Um, But to a certain extent, things could potentially all cost money and that would be fine yeah. if everybody had the resources, etc. So people would be like, oh, I want more Vietnamese poetry. So you just take the key, you turn the lock, and you get more Vietnamese poetry. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is we're bombarded with free stuff and so we're like, well, I don't have the money to do what I really want to do so I'm going to take this free or this cheap stuff. And the problem with the free and the cheap stuff is it it latches onto your mind in a way that gives you more free and cheap stuff. But what you don't realize is you're sinking so much of your time and effort and money in small increments into this cheap stuff. You're actually spending, you're investing so much. Yeah. I mean, I think about episode 17 we did, I think it rains by Wole Soyanka. I couldn't find it anywhere except on like weird websites, which we talk about some in the episode. Mm-hmm. So we had to do some like, we've got a couple different forms that this poem is taken i guess we're just gonna pick the one that we like best and run with it um so there i mean it is and it's a good poem so like sometimes you find good things that exist in like weird forms and also i think 995 for the 11th through 20th centuries of selections of Vietnamese Vietnamese poetry is pretty good and like when i was looking for this poem in vietnamese i was looking at like amazon listings for this book and you know like 30 40 bucks for it oh excellent and i was like oh great that's not way more (laughs) than i'm willing to pay for that knowledge like you're right i think it's what i'm trying to say whatever you said you're right (laughs) (laughs) thanks for the blank check (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome you're welcome yeah i think the world would be better off if the people who are doing what they want to do wouldn't look at everybody who's not doing what they want to do and then say, hey, you want to do what I'm doing. We do get a whole lot of like, you know, oh, march to your own drum, do whatever you want. But it's kind of like hollow words right now, I feel like. Isn't that what he's doing, though? Telling people to not do what they're doing and to do this instead? Yeah, um, but... There's something different when it's like an achievable goal. Like any, pretty much everybody can do that, right? Mm -hmm. But if you say, oh, you want two things, money and power, and you want as much of it as possible, you're basically telling people that they want to be on the top because as much of as possible means more than anyone else plus infinity. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not sustainable. And those things don't exist anyway. They're not, they're not important they are ways of getting important things but they're not important themselves um and what he's talking about you know albeit he doesn't mention other people but he's talking about experiences you know he's not saying get a bunch of money so that you can get a boat on the river he's saying do the river thing just do that just do what you want you know don't don't let other people tell you what you should be doing, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't mean like morally and that sort of thing. Although I do think that a lot of people who 
who are trying to get other people to work for them because it benefits themselves. I think there's a lot of pressure like, oh, you know, you're a bad human. Like what I said earlier about like, oh, you have to read Twitter or else you don't get real news, right? You're not connected with the world. You're not getting instant updates on, on the bad things that happen. And those are good things to be informed about. But most of the social media information is not important. So you can't make me feel bad for really not spending much time on social media at all for that reason when the majority of it's the majority of my time spent on social media is incredibly inefficient if my goal is to get to know what's happening in the world and other people. I think you should read the poem now. A Fisherman Speaks His Mind by Gwen Ding Chu. Wise men of talent, now and in the past, have never let ambition seal their doom. High-placed, you're still no better than a slave, a plowman's buffalo, a rider's horse. In evil times, avoid officialdom, and spare yourself some pitfall or some net. Those who serve tigers running as their hounds will feed the tigers when no hair is left. Beyond harm's reach, persist in your own sphere, some stream or sea none covets or disputes. Plying a paddle, row your wicker boat, and catch a livelihood from dawn to dusk. Weave your way through rivers, zigs, and zags, with fishing line and rod made of bamboo. Befriend the moon by night, the wind by day. Sing a gay tune, enjoy a jar of wine. Drift past where the cranes resort, where oysters haunt. In nature, take delight at ease and free. The fish and shrimp by heaven sent abound. You eat your fill. For what else could you wish? Did I talk too much? No. Okay. I, I just thought that was a good place to close. I just felt, I well, I felt like it was this really long paragraph soapbox rant, and I was like, bam, and you were like, you should read the poem, and I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Oh, I was like, oh, this is a really good way to sum up our conversation. We I felt like I was now. saying the same thing I had said 12 times before. Right. That's how I'm being taught you conclude a piece of media, is you recap everything you've said. No new information in the conclusion. Okay. That's what they tell me. That's...